You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. What's Samuel doing here? He's reminding Israel of God's faithfulness. He's reminding Israel of God's faithfulness. You know what? And I don't think it's a bad idea from time to time that we're reminded of God's faithfulness. We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness as we go through a hard time. Remember when God was faithful here and here and here? Well, if we know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, why won't he be faithful in this situation? But our little mind says, oh no, this is different. But God is always faithful. When we're faithless, He is faithful. No matter how often the Lord works powerfully in your life, it's still so easy to forget His goodness and faithfulness when faced with the next crisis. And today, Pastor Dave will remind you that's why it's so crucial to continually remember how God has worked in your life so that you can trust that He's powerful and good and will work again in your life. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10 with today's edition of A Sure Hope. You are So if you will turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 10, we're looking specifically at verse 17 is where we'll begin. So you know the story. Israel rejected God's rule. Instead, they wanted a king to rule over them. They wanted to be like other nations. They wanted to be like the rest of the world. And although Samuel spoke the word of the Lord to them and told them all that a king would take from them, and that the Lord would not hear their cries when the king took from them and they were angry at the king, even though Samuel told them all that stuff, they still demanded a king. They demanded a king. They insisted. So, God chose for them the son of Kish, a very tall, dark, and handsome man named Saul. He belonged to the smallest of the tribes of Israel, Benjamin. He had basically no spirituality. He was not known as a quote-unquote religious person. And although Samuel lived only five miles from him and was known throughout all of Israel as being a prophet and a man of God, he never sought Samuel out. In fact, he didn't even know that Samuel lived there. He didn't have much spirituality in him had no relationship with God, but he was God's choice. God's sovereignty came into play, and God chose Saul to be the king of Israel. God had arranged the circumstances so Saul would meet the prophet Samuel by having the donkeys of his father run away. You remember that story. God had previously told Samuel that he, Samuel, would meet the man that God had chosen to be king. And that then he would anoint him commander over God's people, Israel. And as you remember, we studied, the events turned out just the way God had said. When Samuel drew near to Saul, the Lord said to him, There's the man of whom I spoke to you, the one who will rule over my people. Samuel knew exactly who he was. Samuel did as God told him. 
He anointed Saul with oil and told Saul that all would happen to him as he made his way back to his father's house. Remember all the things that were going to befall Saul as he went back to his dad's house. The donkeys would be found. There would be men coming down the hill prophesying. The Holy Spirit would come upon Saul and he would prophesy also. Samuel told Saul that all these things would happen. Why? Because God was giving Saul assurance. He was giving him assurance that, number one, he could solve all of Saul's problems. He could solve all of Saul's problems. He could take care of everything that was going on in Saul's life. The donkeys were going to be found. His father would be at ease knowing that he was okay. And he could supply all of Saul's needs because some of the people he met on the road were going to give him bread. They were going to to give to him bread, and he was going to receive it. And finally, this was God's assurance that God would give him the power to be the king. Power in the form of the Holy Spirit. The power that he needed to become king and to lead the nation. So as Saul made his way home, all these things that Samuel prophesied came true. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul. He prophesied, and as many were seen of him, they didn't understand. Remember? They said, who is this? Is Saul now a prophet? Who is this guy? They all looked at him like, what is this? This guy's crazy. But with God's assurance that he would solve all Saul's problems, that he would solve all Paul's needs and meet them, and he was now empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work God had called him, Saul went to his dad's house. He went back to the farm, and as Samuel had told him, he waited seven days. While I was home, he never told anyone about his anointing at king. He kept it to himself, never said a word to anyone. So as we come now to tonight's verses, picking up in verse 17, Samuel has called the nation together at Mizpah. And he's going to proclaim Saul king in front of all the people. Remember, we said, this is how it usually works. God usually calls a man or a woman to a specific ministry, and they start doing that ministry. They're being raised up by God. They start doing that ministry, and then all of a sudden, man recognizes that God has done a work in their hearts, and then they put a name on it, pastor, elder, teacher, whatever. And this person who God has raised up becomes ordained. Ordination is just man's stamp of approval of what God has already done. That's what ordination is. Because God raises people up. God makes them pastors, makes them teachers, makes them evangelists, gives them gifts. It's God's work. Man just recognizes this as, oh, and then we give it a name. God does this work. It's God's work to do. So in 17, it says, Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. Mizpah was now the gathering place of the Lord. It was a gathering place where they would come, and it was going to be a convocation. They were all gathered. All the tribes were there. Everybody was there. Imagine all those people there. Let's look at verses 18 through 19. And Samuel said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought Israel out of Egypt, And delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Samuel basically begins by preaching a powerful, powerful sermon to these people. 
You've seen the great acts of God. You've witnessed wonderful things that the Lord has done. You know the stories of Moses. You know all the stories of Moses and how he brought Israel out of Egypt by the Lord's hand. You know all the plagues. You know as they went along the way, they they destroyed this king. They destroyed that king. You know that after Moses' death, Joshua took over. And Joshua brought him into the land with you as the head lord. And the Lord guided them. And he destroyed this foe, that foe. He destroyed every enemy they had. Every enemy they faced, God would be victorious. He says, you know that. What's Samuel doing here? He's reminding Israel of God's faithfulness. He's reminding Israel of God's faithfulness. You know what? And I don't think it's a bad idea from time to time that we're reminded of God's faithfulness. We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness as we go through hard times. Remember when God was faithful here and here and here? Well, if we know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, why won't he be faithful in this situation? But our little mind says, oh, no, this is different. But God is always faithful. When we're faithless, he is faithful. He is always faithful. We can always count on him, and that should be the confidence of the Christian. We should walk in that confidence knowing that God is always faithful. And he never fails. His love never fails. He never gives up on us. Samuel reminds Israel of God's faithfulness and and, and how he destroyed them at his hands. He reminded them of God's grace. He's brought you this far, Ebenezer. God has been my help this far. Why won't he continue? He's reminding them of his grace. Samuel reminds them that you made a covenant with God. You made a covenant with God at the mountain when you received the commandments. You told Joshua, we're going to follow God when Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. You said you would follow. You made a covenant with God. And you told him you were going to follow his commandments. You were going to obey him. You broke the covenant. You broke the covenant. You disobeyed and you sinned against God and you asked for a king. Great sermon by Samuel, man. He must have been on fire. But even though Israel had sinned against God, God gave them what they requested. He gave to them a king by the name of Saul to rule over them. God is still reminding Israel that he is a little bit more qualified than any human to lead the nation. He's reminding him of their qualities. He's reminding them. And their rejection of him was all because of them, not because of God. Let me repeat that. Israel's rejection of God was because of them, not because God rejected Israel. Even though Israel had rejected him, he never rejected them. Never rejected them. God has never rejected Israel, and you know what? He never will. They are the apple of his eye. They are his children. They are his chosen nation, and God will never, ever reject them totally. Read Revelation. But we shouldn't be too hard on Israel because we're exactly like them. We are exactly like them. We reject God when we fail to obey him. And when we follow after our own ways and our own thoughts and go against his commands, we reject God. We're basically rejecting God. We demand a king. Us. We want to be king of our life. We demand ourselves to be king. And God, being a gracious and wonderful and awesome God, says, okay, king, have at it. 
we reject God, he hasn't rejected us. He won't reject us. He promised to never leave nor forsake us. We know that from Scripture. What's interesting here is that Saul and Samuel and the Lord kept a great secret from all the people. Nobody knew that Saul was already anointed king. Nobody knew. What a great secret. They were the only ones knew what had happened. It's interesting. So Samuel brings forth all the tribes to select the king. This was done to ensure and instill upon the nation that the one chosen to be king was going to be selected by God and not man. Very important that you remember that. Even though they think they threw lots, even though they might have used the Urim and the Thurman, it was God who made the selection. It was God who made the selection. So let's look at verses 20 and 21. And then Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near. The tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. The process they used was, like I said, was either casting of lots, dice, or maybe they requested one of the priests or Samuel use the Ermin and Thurum. We don't have a lot of time to go into that, but that was a way that they determined God's will. You can read about that in Exodus 28. You can read about that. It's a way they detected God's will. If you remember correctly, if you remember correctly, in the beginning of Acts, in the beginning of the book of Acts, after Jesus told them to wait and was ascended into heaven, what was the first thing the apostles did? A la Peter. My man Peter, he had to take care of things. Peter had to step up. Hey, somebody's got to get organized here. We need to vote somebody in to take place of Judas. We need to vote somebody in to take place of Judas. So let's all get together. They cast lots. That's what it says. They cast lots. Matthias became the apostle. And we've read so many things about Matthias. It's crazy. So I'm sure he wrote a lot of stuff, and I'm sure he was a great guy, but he wasn't God's choice. He wasn't God's choice. There was a Pharisee by the name of Saul who happened to be God's choice for the 12th apostle. And it wasn't until much later that God met him on the road to Damascus and knocked him off his high horse. We know him now as the Apostle Paul. Saul did not become king because he was chosen by Lot. Saul became king because he was chosen by God. It was God's word to the prophet Samuel. The choosing by Lot simply confirmed what the Lord had already done. So you can imagine these millions of people there And he went through the whole tribes. I bet he saved Benjamin to last. He went through all 11 tribes, and he said, Benjamin. And all these Benjamites come out. Then he calls this by a clan, and then all of a sudden he says, Saul. But look look at the end of verse 21. But when they sought him, he could not be found. (laughs) I love that. They selected Saul, but he's not around. Was this a glimpse of what lay ahead for the nation? I don't know. Saul was hiding. And there are some who think that this was a humility thing on his part. And one commentator said this, quote, True humility accepts God's will, while at the same time depending on God's strength and wisdom, unquote. I like that. Andrew Murray said this, True humility isn't thinking meanly of oneself. True humility is simply not thinking of oneself at all. Pretty cool. Had Saul been focusing on the glory of God, he would have presented himself at the assembly and accepted God's calling on his life. Then he would have urged the people to pray for him and help them to accept what God is doing for the nation. 
And since this is his first initial act as king, it was a very auspicious start. Where's Saul? Where did you? Where's Saul? I can imagine. Samuel's gone, oh, what's going on here? He became a reluctant leader because he followed his emotions. He was afraid. He was afraid. See, remember, Saul never had a real true relationship with the Lord to begin with. So he wasn't, wasn't familiar with God the way Samuel was, the way Samuel trusted in God. One, one commentator I read put it this way, quote, Saul would serve as a sacrificing, courageous soldier one day and become a self-centered autocrat the next. Kind of signs up what Saul was like. You know, when you shun popularity, it's one thing, but when you shun the call of God, that's a different thing altogether. Many people have been shunning the call of God. They've been hiding from the call of God. Some of you may be hiding from God's call. God may have called you to certain things, to do certain things, and you're kind of hiding, getting lost in the crowd because you're reluctant to go up there. You're, You're either afraid or you're fearful or whatever, but you're hiding from God. God wants to give you a crown of glory. He wants to give you a crown of life. Some of you are hiding from God's call to salvation. Some of you are hiding from God's call to salvation. God wants to give you a crown of glory. God wants to use you. Samuel tries to save the situation by giving Saul his stamp of approval. Look at verses 22. It says, Therefore they inquired of the Lord's further has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, he is hidden in the, among the equipment. He can't hide from God. He's hiding there somewhere, and God says, oh, he's over there in the equipment thing. Go get him. He's hiding with the tractors and the animals and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, I know they didn't have tractors back then, but you know what I'm talking about. I just wanted to see if you were listening. So they ran, and they brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all of Israel. Samuel's puffing Saul up, saying, Look, look, guys, this is the one you chose. He's handsome. He's tall. He's the guy. Come on. This is the one you wanted. This is the one God wants for you. Come on. He kind of admiring his physicality, his stature. Verse 24b. So all the people shouted together, long live the king. Long live the king. They recognized that God had finally given them what they wanted. God had given them a king to lead them into battle against their enemies and to take care of them because they felt that God's care was not enough. God's care was not enough. Verse 25, this is the wisest thing that Samuel says all day. It's the wisest thing he did. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, and he wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord, and Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his own house. In other words, he said, this is how royalty acts. I was reading one commentator, and he said, I don't think they talked about how to hold a teacup, how royalty should hold a teacup. I think he talked about what royalty does and how royalty is expected to act. He wrote all this down, and it kind of links the kingship with the divine covenant because many, many scholars think that they use Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20. Let's turn to there for a minute. 
Turn to Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20. 14 says, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it, say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you, and you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall be multiplied wife for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall be greatly multiplied silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So you see, even back then in Deuteronomy, God says, you're going to ask for a king. You're going to ask for a king when you get into the kingdom, but this is what the king's going to do. Don't multiply horses. Don't multiply chariots. Don't multiply wives. He's giving commands to the king. This is what you shall not do. Now, when you read this, when you read this selection, I don't know about you. I know you guys are biblical scholars, but one person comes to my mind. Solomon. Solomon did multiply horses, he multiplied chariots, and he multiplied wives and concubines. He did all these things against God, against God's rule. He also multiplied silver and gold and those kind of things. We know that from Scripture. Samuel reminded the people that even a king should submit to the Lord and submit to the Lord's commands, the Lord's words, even a king. In other words, God was still in charge. This man may have been king, and God may have chose him. But make no mistake, God was still in charge. God was still boss. We, we can guess that Samuel was not explaining how he should, should act. Instead, he was probably warning them about the wickedness and the selfishness of a king. Some kings became very selfish. They became wicked. When we get to the book of Kings, when we start reading through that, you read where, you know, this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. This king did evil in the sight of the Lord. This king, you know, all these kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. They didn't follow the Lord's command. They didn't do what God had wanted them to do, and they were kings. What did Jesus say about that? Those who are rulers over the Gentiles should not lord it over them. We shouldn't lord it over them. We have to exercise the authority over them. But Jesus added his words of instruction. He says this in Mark 10. Yet it shall not be from among you. For whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life ransom for many. Jesus is our example of how to serve others. Selfless service. Others centered. You are Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of 1 Samuel and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. 
find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. While we'd like to invite you to join us in person for church at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, right now we're following the Lord's guidance and remaining closed. However, we are still holding services online. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 on Facebook and YouTube. Just follow the links you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. We're also streaming our Wednesday service at 7 p.m. along with Bible study and devotionals each week. It's important to stay connected to church community during this time, so we hope you'll join us. Is there anything we could be praying about for you? Please let us know. Call us at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Dave and all of us at Calvary Chapel Cape May in your prayers, that we'll be wise in our decisions, and that we'll stay in tune with the desires of Christ. Thanks for praying, and thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of 1 Samuel, right here on A Sure Hope.